0: Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 15. 2 Kings chapter 15. So many times when we think about the Old Testament, especially those portions that deal with with the kings and uh, the genealogy and so on and so forth, we're tempted to just mark that off of our list of things important and a lot of times we miss a great blessing by not taking into consideration the way that God dealt with those men and uh, and you might say the way that they related to the Lord as leaders of Israel and Judah chapter 15 verse 1 and in the twentieth and 70th, uh, and seventh year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, began Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. Sixteen years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned two and fifty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was the of Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father... Amaziah had done, save that the high places were not removed, the people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places, and the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper unto the day of his death. This is a short version of the story of Azariah, who by the way is also known as Uzziah, And he was the king of Judah, reigning during the ministry of Hosea, Isaiah, Amos, and Jonah. So when you think of those prophets, understand that this is the fellow that has been reigning 52 years, he reigned over Judah. And it's remarkable whenever you look at the fact that he was only 16 years old when he started. Now, there's a factor that relates to... To him being 16 and that is that rather than coming to the throne through ordinary succession as kings normally did it appears that he was chosen by the people to be the king while the father was still alive. I don't know all of the details, all the ramifications of that, but his father was still living, and he's a 16-year-old king, so we can surmise that the people had made the choice, and uh, so he becomes the king. Now, if we stop reading after verse number 3, we look at this and think, wow, what a great success story. Coming to the throne at the age of 16 and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And you think, wow, no problem. Great. The problem is there's a blot on his record where he goes on to say in verse 4, save that the high places were not removed. And the people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high place now I want you to notice that word save because our message tonight hinges on that it means how be it or it means accept accept and I want to speak to you about the air of exception someone wrote I uh, jotted it down because the description was impressive to me, but I can't remember who it was. But in describing uh, uh, Azariah, he said that he was a wonderfully intelligent and innovative king under whom the state of Judah prospered. He was used of God to defeat the Philistines and the Arabs. He built fortified towers and strengthened the armies of Judah. And he commissioned skill men to create devices that could shoot arrows and large stones at enemies from the city walls. He also built up the land and the Bible says he loved the soil. The Ammonites paid tribute to King Uzziah and his fame spread all over the ancient world as far as the border of Egypt. And so when we look at that and we think, what a great success story, but except for the fact it says the high places were not removed, and the result was that people worshiped these false gods there and burnt sacrifices unto their gods. Had it not been for that factor, He might have gone down as maybe one of the greatest kings in in history. Instead, as you notice, he ends up as a leper. Imagine going from being in the palace, as it were, being the, the king to now dwelling among the lepers because, you know, he's separated from the general population as a result of that. The problem is that when he ascended to the position of king, when he takes the throne, uh, he just allowed things, these things to continue, this sacrifice there in the high places. He's followed in the footsteps of his father. He's been conforming to the ways of his father. That's the way it was before. So it's not like he initiated the problem. It's just that he allowed it to continue to happen. So here's a man that did a lot of good, but he failed to do the one thing that eventually led to his failure and the exact same thing could be said of so many people that were it not for some except in their life they they would be exceptional except For whatever it is, you see, one stumble can cause a great fall. And just because we're successful in one area does not justify our failure in another area. He could have argued and said, my, look, you know, all of the good things that I've done. And by the way, he had an impressive list as we've just seen. That was the reason that I read the quotation about him. Because we think about his fame spreading all the way to the border of Egypt. Everybody's talking about this great king of Judah and all of the things that he has done. And you look at that impressive list. But there was that one factor there that kept him from being an exceptional king. Now tonight I want us to make this practical. I want us to make it personal. I want us to each and every one to examine ourselves and to think about the except that might be in our lives it's easy to remember you know what you've done but sometimes it can be more profitable to think about the things that you should have done you know we all make a list well I did this and I did that but what about the things that you haven't done and based on experience and observation I can think of several different Ways that people fail in this regards, and so I want you to think about those possibilities. You know, he did good, except well, he refused to give up some pet sin. That might be someone here tonight. I don't know. Probably somebody that you know, and you look at their record and all of the good things you can say about them, and it is exceptional. And except for the fact that. That person just absolutely refuses to give up that pet sin. That is their besetting sin, and they cling to it like a drowning man, a life preserver. They just think they can't live without it, except they won't give up their sin. On the other hand, there's someone else that has an exceptional record, except for the fact that he has a bad temper. I've known a lot of people like that. I don't know what it would be like to be that way, of course, but I've known people like that. Uh, I've got a dear preacher friend I haven't seen in years now. He's the one I talked about going to Fist City out in the parking lot. He's not a real big guy, but I'll tell you what, I mean, he'll fight you at the drop of a hat, and it's not something that you know i would encourage preachers to do by the way and i i know him and i know he realizes it's wrong but he's a great guy except for the fact that he has a he has a bad temper and you you know people like that don't you hey they've got a really good record you love to be around them except for the fact they've got a bad temper and some people will use that temper To try to manipulate people, they'll use that temper to try to, you know, get what they want out of life. That's their defense instead of reasoning things out or anything. Why, well, their temper flares up, and all of a sudden, why they're in the middle of a controversy of some kind. And then you have those that are great people, except for the fact that they're harboring bitterness in their heart, and they go through life with a sour attitude because. They're just eaten up with bitterness inside. It might be something that, that could be traced back several years, and they are still bitter over something that happened years and years ago. Or it might be something that happened a month ago, but they just can't get rid of that root of bitterness that is defiling them. Great people otherwise you know, and we look at them and wonder why is it that they're just, you know, miserable all the time. They go through life with their defenses up and they're sire and bitter. And other than that, boy, they would be great people. But let me tell you, there can be a lot of harm done as a result of bitterness. Remember there in the book of Hebrews where it speaks about the root of bitterness, that defiles us. And he said, whereby many be defiled. In other words, others are going to be affected by our bitterness. And then we know other people that are great people, good record, except for the fact that they just refuse to forgive offenses. They they just won't let go of it. I mean, they're great people, they're generous people, but boy, you ever cross their path, you do them wrong, you offend them in some way, and they just refuse to forgive other people. But doesn't it make you miserable when you know down in your heart that you ought to and you don't? I mean, if you're a Christian, that just, and let me tell you, that just eats away at you. I know that I ought to forgive them. What they did was wrong. There's no doubt about it. But I ought to forgive them. But I I just can't find it within my heart to do that. And then you know others that have a good track record except for the fact that they are just... Well, they're just covetous. Never satisfied with anything in life, they've got to have more. They got to have bigger. They got to have better. You, you know, it, it just got to have it. And and they can't enjoy life without it. They've just got to get this, and uh, consequently, it destroys their happiness and ultimately their testimony. There are others got a good track record, except except for the fact that it's a matter of jealousy. They're just so jealous of those that seem to have it better and those that seem to have more, and their jealousy eats away at them day and night. And then there are others. They have a good track record, except for the fact that they are stubborn, they are opinionated, they're quarrelsome, and, boy, I, I mean, regardless of what happens Somebody offers an idea or something, and they think that they've been called of God to, you know, to bring everything into question. And so they're stubborn. It's their way or the highway, and they're not going to settle for anything less than that. And so they're all the time bickering with somebody about something. And then there are others, very great people. I mean, really good people, except for the fact that they lack empathy. They just, they, they just have no feelings at all for how other people feel. They, some way or another, they just can't enter into the suffering of other people. And that's the very thing that causes them to question other people. You know, other people, you know, whatever the situation might be. And, and uh, the person without empathy thinks, They think, well, it it couldn't be that bad. Well, it might be a whole lot worse than what they're telling you. You just don't know that. And let me tell you, without empathy, we're not a whole lot of good to anyone. If their suffering doesn't cause us to suffer in some way, uh, we're never going to be able to minister to people without that. Then there are others, great people. Boy, they make good neighbors and everything else, but they're not understanding of others. They just just not, they don't really try, they make, don't make any effort to really understand others. And sometimes if we knew the background, if we knew the history, if we knew what that other person would go through we could we could better understand and how many times do we question the actions of someone why why in the world do they do that or why are they like that just think about the list the things that I've already made mention of and we wonder why are they like that have you ever stopped to think it might be because of something that they went through they're never going to tell you about it they're not going to share it with anyone else But they might have gone through some horrible, horrible experience that has contributed to their particular problem. And we need to be understanding of people like that. And then there are others. Good track record, except for the fact that they're just careless. I don't know how else to say it. They're just careless. Uh, They... (laughs) I, I'm, I mean, they don't really intentionally do something that's wrong or hurtful to others, but, but they're just careless. We sometimes get that way in the things that we say. Boy, I could camp out here for a while, but, but it probably wouldn't be the popular thing to do. But so many times we don't take into consideration, you know, we say something in a certain way and we know what we mean. We we don't mean anything by, bad by it and we really don't. But we don't stop to think about how that might come across to somebody else. And the devil then uses our words to tear them down all because of our carelessness. And we need to stop and consider You know, how's the other person going to perceive this? How are they going to take this? Then there are other people, great people, really good people, except for the fact that they are in constant desire of attention and recognition. They've just got to have it. Boy, they want a pat on the back. They want the applause. They want the attention from others. And if they don't get it, they begin to pout. Because they want that attention. And that should never be the motivating factor in anything that we do for the Lord. We ought to be doing it for His honor and glory. Now, we all appreciate attention, right? Uh, We appreciate appreciation. We want to be appreciated. We want to be recognized whenever we try to do a good job. It's really encouraging when somebody says, Boy, I really appreciate what you did. But boy, if we ever let that become the motivating factor in our life, we're going to be useless to God and His service. Because it's not about us getting the recognition. It's about Him getting the glory. Then there are others Good people in so many ways except for the fact that they are proud of their abilities or of their accomplishments. You know, they love to just put those things on display. They're proud. They, they go through life comparing themselves with others. And of course they always compare themselves with somebody that they feel is inferior to them. And there's, I can't think of anything that's more devastating to our Christian life than pride because it manifests itself in so many ways. Let me give you one more except, and that is the fact that somebody does good in so many things except for the fact that they don't do what's necessary to grow spiritually. We see that a lot of times with somebody maybe that has just recently been saved. Maybe it's been a matter of months or maybe it's been a year that they've, they've been a Christian now and really good people, faithful to church. They can't wait till the doors are open. They want to be there. You, you know, you take up an offering and they give generously and so on and so forth, except for the fact that they fail to do what's necessary to grow spiritually. And, you know, those, those disciplines, the Christian disciplines such as prayer and Bible study and the things that are going to contribute to us growing spiritually. And if we're not growing spiritually, we are backslidden, regardless of what stage of life we're at. The very moment we stop growing, we're backslidden because we come, you know, we come to a dead end, as it were, in our life and we ought to be progressing all of the time now as you very well know that that list could go on and on and on and some of the best people that i've known have problems in some of these areas that i mentioned and i i suspect that if i really took time that i could put a name with everything that i put on that list i'm not saying your name's on the list by the way but it might be but if I just look back over the years and I look at each and every one of those accepts, I could put a name and, boy, I can go back and think, well, there was old brother so-and-so. Oh, what a great person he was. I, I just loved him in pieces, except for the fact that, you know, whatever it is. And the sad thing is they never understand the harm that it does. They go through life, you know, with all of these good things on their record they break their arm patting themselves on the back because they think they're doing great and they would be doing great except for whatever it is that is hindering them and let me tell you making a few good changes is never enough because partial obedience is disobedience to make, you know, just to make enough changes that we're headed in the right direction, you see. God's concerned not only about what we do, He's concerned about the things that we leave undone. And that's where the second mile principle comes in. That ought to be the principle by which we live, that, you know, He compels you to go a mile, He tells you to go that extra mile, that second mile. So the question is, what is the great except in your life? What, what is it? And we need to stop pretending like we don't know. Because if we'll really be honest, if we'll stop, and if we'll examine ourselves, I'm convinced that, that we know what that except is in our life. We know where our shortcoming is. And, and I understand we can't change the past. Not a thing in the world that we can do about that. We can't always undo the damage that's been done by our neglect in the past. Those accepts, the things that we neglected, the things that we left undone and the harm that they did. We can't always go back and undo that and and get rid of the damage. But there's one thing about it we can think about we can think about the sin of exception, the things that we neglected, the things that we ignored and refused to do, and and we're fools to think that we could sin with impunity, to think that, we, you know, yeah, I know I'm really lacking in that area. That's the big major exception in my life. I have failed miserably, but, but boy, I've got so many good things on my record that it you know, that I can't be that bad of a person. Well, it's not a matter of how good or how bad you are. It's a matter of whether or not you're in the will of God. And and let me tell you, the sin of omission can be every bit as harmful as the sin of commission. And sometimes it's even more so because of the fact that we tend to think of it as being less dangerous You know, we know, well, the Bible says thou shall not do this, and so we think, well, that's good. As long as I don't do that, I'm on safe ground. But then the Bible says, you know, we shall do this other, and we fail to do it just like Saul whenever the Lord sent him out and said, now, I want you to go out and go to battle. I want you to destroy every living thing. Don't take any spoils or anything like that. Well, what did he do? He went out against the enemy, and he comes back and... The old prophet says, Well, how'd it go? Oh, I've got her all done. No problem. He said, wait a minute, what's the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen I hear? What and you brought the king back? I told you to kill him. And automatically at that point Samuel said, Buddy, you just lost your kingdom. Now, God allowed him to stay in office for a little while, but that that was the beginning of the end for his administration. Something that he left undone. And I'm telling you, folks, these things that we leave undone, these things that we ignore, the sins of omission, are the things that come back to haunt us later on. We look at this story... And I don't know about you, but it's interesting to me, but it ought to do more than just inform us. It ought to inspire us, inspire us to live as we should, because God didn't put it here for the sake of entertainment. God put it here that we might learn from it. And all across America, week after week, There are people that go to church, they sit down, they listen to the Word of God, they enjoy it, but then they go their way as absolutely nothing about it applies to them. So rather than listen and learn and live it, they just leave. They just leave, just walk out of the service without doing business with God you see this is not just a story it's so much more than that by the way God could have recorded numerous incidents from history but here he's giving us a specific story something that will contribute to our spiritual edification think of all the millions of people that might have been on earth at that particular time, and God's turning our attention down to this one man and this one specific event in his life, and he did so because he knew that this was the message that we need. And by the way, we're all accountable for how we respond to it. Brother Preston and I are not accountable for whether or not people respond to it. You know, sometimes we wish that we could just intervene in some way and we could force a response, but we can't do that. We don't have the ability to do that. But you have to give an account for the things that you heard and the opportunities that you've had. And let me tell you, if this message tonight reminds you of something that you've left undone you need to deal with it. And by the way, the only way to deal with it is confess it and forsake it. Just acknowledging it is not enough. You can just shrug your shoulders and say, well, well, sorry about that. I'm, I'm going to try to do better in the future. That's not enough. Because whenever we leave things undone, when we have all of those exceptions in our life, It becomes sin unto us, and the only way to ever deal with sin is to confess it. Knowing better is one thing. Doing better is another thing. And by the way, we haven't really learned anything if it doesn't cause us to live as we should. So many times, you know, we we talk about learning. Well, I learned this, and I learned that. Well, not if you're not putting it into practice, you see. Let me say something else even let's just suppose that we are not accountable for our actions let's suppose that there are these exceptions in our life these things that we leave undone these things that we have neglected in our life and let's assume that God's going to just overlook that we have no reason to fear God's wrath whatsoever we would still be wise to do as God desires. You see, pleasing God is the most important thing, but there's another reason why we ought to do what we should. And One of the greatest days in a Christian's life is when they begin to realize that what God commands from me is an expression of His concern for me. You see, God wants what's best for you, and that's why God's will is not only right, it's best, and it's not only the best, it's the safest, and so God's more concerned about our welfare than what we are, and understanding that creates a a desire in our heart to do the will of God. we're no longer looking at it as though God's trying to restrict our happiness, that he's trying to take something away that we enjoy, but now we begin to realize that it is for our good. If we had time to read the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey said we would see that, and I'm firmly convinced that whenever he left those high places there, he allowed that false worship to continue, that it was due to his pride in thinking he could get by with it. And that contributed to the fact that later on in his ministry then, that he decides to take it upon himself to go into the holy place and offer up incense which was not allowed by anyone except the priest. His pride caused him to think, I'm going to be both the priest and the king. And boy, did God have a surprise for him. He was smitten with leprosy. No known cure to man. Isolated from everybody else. Put in a leper village. All because of the fact that I, I think he looked back, he had ignored doing what he should have done. The moment he come in as the king, he should have said that activity will no longer be tolerated. As long as I'm king, things are going to change and we're going to get rid of those high places. We're not going to allow that false worship among us. And and I say all of that to say this. When we leave things undone, it's going to lead to some other sin in the future. It's not just the sin of omission and not doing what we should. It's the sin of commission that eventually grows out of that that provokes the anger of the Lord. James said, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him, it is sin. It is sin. What is the except in your life? You say, Well, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. Well, I want you to think about it. I want you to do more than that. If maybe you're here and you think, well, boy, you know, I can't I can't think of anything. I think I've got all my bases covered. I think everything's a-okay. I'll tell you what, get down on your knees tonight and pray for God. To use the Holy Spirit to reveal what is really in your heart. Like the old song, search me, O God, and know my heart today. That, that, that ought to be our prayer. Because believe me, you and I do not always have the ability to see ourselves in the light that, that we need to see ourselves Because we all have this tendency to just, you know, smooth over things and we don't want to deal with. And so we just kind of slough it off and go on and and just like it's no big deal. But boy, whenever the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our heart and begins to convict us of our sins, that's a whole different story. Those of you that are young people and you, chances are, have your whole life ahead of you, many years I hope you don't fall into that, that trap of thinking that you can get by with cutting corners, ignoring certain things in your life, and eventually you'll get everything back on track. Oh, I, you know, I, I know the preacher's right, and I know I ought to do this and I ought to do that, and someday I'm going to do that, but my, I'm, you know, I'm not even 20 years old yet. I've got a lot of life to live, a lot of fun to have. and You're going to end up cutting your own throat you're going to neglect the very things that will come back to haunt you one of these days. And it's better to deal with them now than it is to try to deal with them later. Prevention's a whole lot better than cure. So get ahead of the curve and do what you need to do so you don't fall into that trap. It wasn't, you know, in, in, in our terminology, it wasn't what he did that was so bad at the beginning it's what he didn't do, what he left undone, and it come back to haunt him, and it does the same for us, folks. Let's get rid of those accepts in our life, the things that's going to hinder us from being good servants of the Lord. Stand with me, and we're going to pray, and Tim's going to come, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation, Father. How we thank you, Lord, for reminding us of the great pitfalls and the dangers in life. It's so very easy for us to just assume that we've got our life on track when in reality maybe we've taken a wrong turn somewhere. We've maybe neglected some area that needed our attention. We've disobeyed something that you told us to do. And Lord, we, we can't really properly examine our own hearts as we should without your help. So I pray tonight that you'll help me and help each and every one of us this evening to look into the depths of our heart. And Lord, that we'll not, not leave here, that we'll not go to sleep tonight with unfinished business. Help us to avoid those accepts, those things in our life. That make us less than our best in your service. So have your will here in the service this evening in each and every heart, for we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. While we stand as we sing, page four hundred and seventy three.